The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thanks for joining us for our third week of a series we're just calling For You. The reason we're calling it For You is because we want our communities to know. Our communities are the people that we do life with, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, people that we see on a regular basis. We want them to know that God is for them. And because God is for them, God is for everyone, we want them to know that we, the church, are for them. We want that message to be something that we use internally within our church, that language of God being for you and the church being for you. We want it to be used internally. We want it to be used within our communities. We want people that have no idea who Summit is or what we're about to start to hear this phrase within their daily walks, just going, they're talking about how they're for me and how God is for me. And that's honestly a message I want to hear. That's something that excites me very, very much. We talked last week about how every person in our community that is lost, that does not know that God is for them, that does not know the love of Jesus and what he did on a cross for them, they are our potential. They are the people that we are trying to reach. The church does not exist for those who are sitting inside the room alone. No, the church exists to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why Jesus came. That was last week's message. We want our communities to know that God is for them. The reason we want our communities to know this is because for far too often the church has been known for what it's against. The church has been seen as this group of religious law followers that are too high and mighty to ever be breached by anyone from the outside. And God is this lofty old man sitting on his porch screaming at the kids to get off his front yard. Don't you come near me. Now I know that's a little crazy, but for so many people, that is the picture of God. An old man sitting in a rocking chair, angry at the world, frustrated, not wanting anyone to be a part of his life, not wanting anyone to come near. We we see this God is, is angry, is frustrated, And there's a wall that's been built by so many within our communities that simply do not believe that God is for them. And that's been reiterated by the church saying, hey, we're not really for you either. And we want to stop that. We want to put an end to that. We want to create a language where everyone knows within our communities that God is for them. That God is not against them. Can you pause right now wherever you're at? I just want you to pause. And I want you to think for a moment, someone in your community, okay? We've already clarified who that is. Someone that you come into contact with on a daily basis that feels God is against them, that God is not for them. Can you just picture someone in your mind? It may not be difficult because for some of you, it's you. You, you have this underlying feeling that God just, he may be for some other people, but he's not for me. And maybe you've worked through that, maybe you processed through that, and maybe it is someone else. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone you work with that, for whatever reason, whatever the circumstances are, they just don't believe that God could possibly be for them. And when you then start to use this kind of language that God is for you, they're like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't believe that. It makes it difficult. What needs to happen is there needs to be a change in thinking. 
And many of us know, especially in the climate we live in now, to change the way someone thinks, that's a large ask. To, to change the ground rules, to change some fundamental beliefs. If, if there's people within our community that believe God is against them, how do we change that thinking? That's what I want to talk about today. And I want to show you something truly amazing that Jesus did. A, a truly world-changing moment for all who had ever thought about God. Jesus changed it in just a few words. But before we can jump into that story, you need to understand a little bit of the context. Okay, in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Yahweh. At least that's how we translate it in the English. It's a Hebrew word. There's just a few letters. Some have said it's such a special name because it sounds like breath when you pronounce it correctly. But there was a problem. The children of God, the Israelites, they believed that if they spoke the name of God, if they said Yahweh out loud, there was a high likelihood they would mispronounce it. And by mispronouncing his name, God would smite them, literally come and destroy them. Now, they got this from kind of an obscure passage in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. So I, I want to read where they got it from. I don't think they were interpreting this correctly, but you must understand there are Jews today who will not say the name of God for fear of his retribution, for mispronouncing his name. But they get this from Leviticus 24, verse 16. It says this, anyone who blasphemes, speaks against the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The penalty is so clear. Here's how that death will come. The entire assembly, the entire community must stone that person for blaspheming the name of God. Whether they're a foreigner or native born, when they blaspheme the name, Yahweh, the name, they are to be put to death. So instead of reading Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, literally, a Hebrew would read, in the beginning, blank. They would leave that blank. They didn't want to risk mispronouncing the name of God. So in the beginning, blank created the heavens and the earth. They wouldn't speak the name of God. They felt like they were dealing with an angry God, a self-righteous God who would strike them down because they were not worthy to speak his name. Now that sounds far-fetched to me. But there are many living within our communities who still have very similar feelings about God. That if they do anything wrong, if they make one mistake, he's just sitting there waiting to catch them, waiting to call them out, waiting to strike them down. But Jesus, Jesus, he changed it. He changed the game. He offered a new name for God. And he did so in one of the most profound ways. Jesus had just finished praying, just finished praying to his heavenly father. One of his disciples saw that Jesus had been praying and walks up and asks a very legitimate question. The disciple said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach your followers how to pray like you do. And the response that Jesus gave is immediate and it's beautiful. And we call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That, that's not how Jesus said it, but that's what's recorded in the Gospels. 
And that's the language that we use. Many of you have heard that prayer. It's said before football games and gatherings. It's pretty well known. But we blaze right through that first phrase. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father. Yahweh, the name of God, is changed to Dad. To Abba. Father. It's so personal that probably its best translation in English would be daddy. When you pray, start by addressing God, not out of fear, not out of worry that you might mispronounce his name and he'll strike you down. No, start by saying, daddy, I want to come to you. I want to talk to you and you you want to talk to me. And as, as Jesus finishes that prayer and then begins to explain this brand new way of thinking, this completely shattering the old mold of who God is and what we thought about God, as Jesus begins to explain, he's like, no, think about it this way. He goes, what father, what father, if their kid asked for bread, would give him a snake? No good father would do that. No good father would do that. If, if you ask for an egg, you get a scorpion. No, no, no good father is ever going to do that. And, and you've got to realize that when you pray, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, he will answer you. He will hear your requests and he will respond as a good and loving father. Now, I know that's hard for some because you did not have a picture of a good, loving, earthly father. But if you didn't, if you didn't have that, then I want you to picture a good, loving, earthly father and realize what Jesus is trying to say. Our heavenly father is better than that. Is kinder, more merciful, more loving more generous. We need to flip the way people think about God because he is for them. He is a loving, kind, and gracious God. Now, before we run down a very dangerous path, it's very dangerous to think about God as standing against us, but it's also dangerous to think since God is for us, then that means it's all about us. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Just because God is for you does not mean it's all about you. The Bible makes it very clear. It's all about him. It's all about his glory. The good gifts that he gives to his children are for their betterment, but ultimately for his glory. We have to balance this idea. But I would much rather someone err on the side of believing that God is for them than err on the side of believing that there is no way God could possibly ever love them. And that's where we step in. That's where we step in and we share the one thing that made this possible. The one thing that allows that statement that God is for you, that he loves you, that he's merciful towards you. The one thing that makes this possible is the death of his son Jesus on the cross. It was a brutal, horrific death. But it paved the way for us to experience the love and the grace, the forness of God towards us.
None of this happens. None of this changes unless Jesus endures the cross, which leads to another different way of thinking. It bothers many people who are familiar with the church that that the church would be known for what it stands against when the cost, when the price that was paid for God to be with his children, the price that was paid so that God could be for us, it, it bothers me when a church allows itself to be known for what it stands against. The price was just too high. So many of my neighbors, and I've been trying to practice when I'm preaching, so many of my neighbors, when I tell them that I'm for them because God is for them, they respond in an interesting way. They're uncomfortable. One, because I've brought up the name of God and that stirs emotions in them. But I can read it in their face. They don't feel like God is for them. And they don't because they're playing this balancing game of going, if my life were perfect, then I could possibly believe that there's this all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God out there that is for me. But since my life is far from perfect, and none of us, none of us have that perfect life, they go, I, I find it hard to believe that God is for me. But Jesus died on a cross so the doors of the kingdom of heaven could be flung wide open for them. Anyone who wants to experience the grace and the mercy of God, of their heavenly Father, needs to simply see and know that the price that was paid for this validates, validates the truth in the statement that God is for them. He gave up too much to not be for us. And then for a church to not be known for this, for a church to not proclaim this message, but instead to say, hey, we stand against people who believe and think and act this way. Because that's what God told us to do. I just simply look at that and go, seriously? That's the message you get from the cross. That's the picture that is woven within your mind when you think about the sacrifice that Jesus made is that he did so so that he could tell a bunch of people they were wrong. I don't believe that was the purpose at all. I believe the purpose for this immense sacrifice was so that Jesus could look at a bunch of people and say, you're loved. You're loved and I'm for you. And my heavenly father is for you and you can know him and you can come to him because of what I've done. When it comes to reaching people for Jesus, we can't think that we're better, smarter, have all the answers to life. We just need to take Jesus at his word because of what he's done. Because of what he's done, we can call God. Yahweh, we can call him our father. Like any great father, he's for us. He wants the best for us. And he's come to give us the best. He's come to give us himself. 
I want our communities to experience the love of a heavenly father. I want them to know this. And that's going to require many, 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 many to think differently. To create a new perspective about who God is. But I I want you to think about this. Let's just think hypothetically. Say we do our job, church. Say we do our job well. How different would our communities look if our youngest kids knew that God was for them? How different would our communities look if our teenagers knew that there was a God that cared so much for them that he sent his one and only son to die? That our sports teams were for them. Why? Because God is for them. Your coworkers, you're for them. Why? Because God is for them. How do you know? How can you know that when they don't feel that at all? How can you know that God is for them because of what Jesus did for them? It requires a new way of thinking. It requires a conversation that is birthed by finding common ground. You don't just roll in blazing with this. No, 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 no. You find common ground around your community. You get to let someone know that God is for them. You get to possibly then ask the question, how have you viewed God in the past? Is he a loving father or is he a distant judge? You get to ask those questions because that conversation allows connection at that level. I close with this today. How can you, how can you help others, but starting with yourself, how can you help others see God as a loving father that is for them? How can you do that this week? How can you practically take this message into your community? I challenge you, I challenge you to think about that to pray through that and start today. Start today by reminding yourself that God is for you. And the best way to do that is to remember what Jesus paid for you. So I encourage you to take communion. And and even in in the middle of your living room, if you're driving down the road, I encourage you to take the bread and the cup to be moved by the remembrance that Jesus gave his body and blood for you. And that shows, that proves, that validates that there is a loving father who loved you enough to send his one and only son to die for you. And then take that message into a community that desperately, desperately needs to think differently and desperately needs to hear that good news. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. May we be his hands and feet as we bring to our communities the good news that you love us and that you are for us. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.